When pigs fly, God makes the impossible possible. And that's what we're talking about right now. You know the old saying that says, yeah, right, someday when pigs fly. Well, no, God is a God who does the impossible. He makes the impossible possible. And it's not like in the fourth quarter, he throws a Hail Mary every once in a while. He's the God who, no, it's what he does. He operates in the impossible, making the impossible possible. It's what God does. And what's interesting, you've heard me say this before, is that's also God's call on our lives. The Bill Johnson uh, quote that I share with you often, he says this. I love the way he says it. He says, God's expectation of you is to do the impossible. Well, you say, how, how, how can that be? Well, it's like that because Jesus was going about doing signs and wonders and miraculous healings. And then he turns to the b- disciples, his believers, and he says, even greater things shall you do in my name. Now, again, going back to plug the Holy Spirit series, that, that happens when he says, hey, I'm, I'm sending you someone. I'm sending you a helper, a dunamis, a power. Are you with me? And so get to those classes and find out what that's about. But, but for real, uh, it's, it's, hey, my expectation of us as Christ followers, God's expectation of us as Christ followers is for us to believe for the impossible. Not like, oh, Lord, I hope maybe if you will, if you're in a good mood, if you don't mind. No, we can contend for the impossible to become possible. I love Joshua 3.5. It says this, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Basically, for your life, this scripture applied to you is consecrate yourselves because God in your future is going to continue to do amazing things for you on your behalf, through you, for you. Uh, I looked up the word consecrate. It means to declare sacred. So about our lives, we're called to declare that our lives are sacred before him, committed to him, made sacred, made holy, made righteous, committed to him. Sacred is a dedicated or set-apart way of living, devoted exclusively to one thing. How many of you know in our life, we see a lot of times in church, you see the fence Christian. You probably wouldn't be described as somebody devoted exclusively to one thing. We would say we want the best of the world, and we want the best of the church, and we're trying to mash all these things together, but saying, hey, the move of God, the breakthrough of God, the power of God comes when we consecrate ourselves wholly unto him and his will and his way and his words. Are you with me this morning? Consecrated, dedicated, devoted exclusively to one thing, which is following God. More than 100 years ago, a British revivalist issued a holy dare that would change a life, a city, and a generation. That timeless challenge echoes across every generation because that challenge affected a guy named D.L. Moody. And he said this, the world is yet to see what God will do and for and through and in by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. D.L. Moody's talking about living a life completely, not looking to the left, not looking to the right, but wholly looking to the ways of God. D.L. Moody, for those of you that don't know, in the 19th century was known as the greatest revivalist of his time. Not great because thousands of people came, attended, but thousands of people were called to come to a place and, and lay down their lives of this consecration, healings and miracles and signs and wonders. Why? Because they put all their focus on him. Are you with me? Anytime God is about to do something amazing in our lives, he calls us to consecrate ourselves to him. I'm telling you, church, if we can in these next few weeks and into the months and whatever else God has for us, if we can solely set our attention on him and him only, amazing things and moves are going to come from this. 
I don't want to talk about a series about miracles and miraculous and then go back to normal. No, I want us to live contending for the power of God in our lives. Amen. The enemy hates conversations about the power of God. And we say the enemy, the devil, and and some of you already are are tripping into like, oh, he's talking about a devil. Well, it's true. It's a reality. You can't decide, I don't like to hear about gravity, and so I'm going to ignore gravity and then jump off a building. Gravity is still a thing. And we still have an enemy who's seeking to devour, just like the scripture says. We wrestle not in flesh and blood. We wrestle against powers and principalities. It wouldn't take me very long to go online and show you news articles about things that happen to kids and things happening to people in other countries and go, hey, do we have a devil or not? Because there's no way that demonic force takes place unless there is a devil. Are you with me? We got so many demonstrations out there. God's ready for demonstrations of his power in his church. Are you with me? Uh, so the problem is in church, what we've done, because anytime uh, you take a step toward power of God and seeing God move and seeing God transform, it irritates the enemy and he works hard to intercept it. So we, we can play church and we can be passive and the enemy's okay with us doing poems of God, right? We come in, we say a poem, we say, and, and I'm not belittling anything, but if we don't believe in the substance and power of God, then what's the point? You know, you can memorize verses all day, and, and the scripture says even demons cry out, Lord, Lord. But it's a submitted, surrendered power of God kind of life that we're talking about here in the New Testament. Are you with me? So the enemy, he gets irritated. You know, you can go do poems of God, and, and I can use scripture to give you leadership lessons, and at the beginning of the year, help you write goals, and all that stuff is important. The scripture is there for us to lead our lives the way he's called us to, but if that's all we do, we're missing it by a mile. So when we start talking about power of God and signs and wonders and transformational living, then the enemy's like, hey, I don't love this. And he starts to intercept and he starts to get in the way. And so there's trials and tribulations and there's frustrations that begin to happen. So a lot of churches have just said, I'm good with the poems of God. Let's just, well, you know, I'm, I'm, let's just be careful. Let's just stay here. Are you, are, you, are you with me? But you start taking steps toward the power of God, the things of God, and the enemy tries to come. But God promises that the gates of hell will not prevail They can come, that's fine. But the enemy's making a mistake. Amen. Amen. So I'm preaching a sermon on healing this week. So I'm driving, you know, so the enemy's like, oh, he's going to talk about power of God. He's going to believe that people's lives are going to be changed. So my dad ends up in the ICU Wednesday. I'm like, devil, you're an idiot, (laughs) you know. So he's still in the hospital. My mom came today, left him in the hospital. Right. (laughs) She just read that thing. She's like, God, I'm not worrying. I'm praying. You get him out of there. I'm not dragging his butt home. (laughs) 60 year old man, healthy, you know, all that stuff, you know, whatever, maybe a little bit too much butter on things, but his heart, he's got a heart issue. And it's out of sync. And then they find other things and they can't find answers. And so I'm getting up here knowing that I'm going to preach about healing, but I also got a dad who's still in the hospital. Why? Because the enemy's trying to intercept my faith and my passion and the word that's going to be... Are you with me? I'm driving to Ionia. I'm, I'm going to meet with a pastor friend of mine at a church out there. And on my way, I'm driving, and the car runs straight through the light, just blows straight through a red light. And I'm slamming on the brakes and just slamming. And my Mountain Dew goes flying everywhere. And that was my morning Mountain Dew, you guys. That was an important Mountain Dew. And I said, not today, Satan. You're not doing it. Now, I'm not here to say every time you take a step 
toward God, the devil's going to get you. But I am just saying that he, he makes these attempts. He makes the, and, and it's what? It's to get us to retreat, to step back. Are you with me? So we see in the birth of the early church, you can find it in Acts. If you read through the book of Acts, it's, it's really the launch of how we're called to walk as a church. And you see in the book of Acts that uh, they get called to the upper room. They're filled with the Holy Spirit as they come out of there. People are watching how these people are living. And they're like, these guys are crazy. They're losing it. Like, look at what they're doing. And then it's like, we, we think that they're drunk, but it's the morning and they're talking and these other things. And, and literally their look upon them is, is the people are looking at them like, this is just crazy. And what's interesting about that is we actually get faced with the same thing. We take steps towards God in this world and we believe God for things. And the world is still looking at us like, what are you, what, what are you doing? I had my best friend over here, Ryan Adama. He's in the wheelchair. This first service, he's in a wheelchair worshiping worshiping. I mean, you want to learn something about worship. Why don't you go worship next to him from a wheelchair, people? It's crazy. People walk by and be like, he's talking about the power of God and God and loving God and all the power. And he's stuck in a wheelchair. Are you with me today? Worship from a wheelchair. It looks crazy, but it's a person who's believing that God can do a miracle. Like we saying, it's the book of Acts. It makes you look crazy. So there's all this crazy. And so I understand that this topic of healing and we've seen, the, we've seen the TV shows with the people throwing the jackets and doing all the kind of crazy. You can't let some of the fleshly crazy run you away from the God crazy. God's stepping in and doing a miracle. Amen. And so we've seen it done wrong. There's no doubt about it. There was a confession crowd that when it comes to healing, they, they believe, name it, claim it. All you have to do is speak it and you'll have it. Now, we believe in that. We actually believe in power of your words and what you say has great power behind it. But you got some people saying, like, all you got to do is say it. And what they're doing is they're putting their word, they're putting their belief in their words and not in God. Yeah. And so, so they get very uptight about everything that they say. I was at a church that was this way, and every confession was like hyper policed. <laughs> Somebody wouldn't be at work, and it would be like, hey, where's so and so? They'd be like, he's overcoming today. And I'm like, <laughs> someone taking their house? I don't <laughs> Like, I get sick. It's like, where's so-and-so? It's like, well, he's got snot running out of his face. You don't want to be around him today. We don't have to. Are you with me? <laughs> like, you don't have to. We don't need to all be confession police. Now, I, I believe and I agree that you got to be careful about your words. You know, let me tell you something about Facebook. Facebook, it's called a status update, not a status upchuck. So many of you, not you, first service. You're going on Facebook just up chucking all this negativity and negative confession and disbelief and lack of faith. Are you with me? That's not coming in the prayer room. Oh, God, pray for me. Pray for walk out the doors. Disbelief. So there's power in confession. Amen. The other one is this. People have taken the scripture that says his faith has made rise up. Your faith has made you whole. So anytime someone is not whole, it's because they don't have enough faith. Isn't that damaging and disservice to God? That's not the case either. Uh, that's not how God moves either. So we've seen these, these healings and these things uh, just be a disservice to the, but here's the truth. God still heals. And his desire is to still heal today. And he doesn't just heal. He is a healer. Amen. So I came to answer your question or give you my answer to your question. I know that your question for me today is why then is sickness? Why is there still sick? 
sickness? Why is there still sickness? Why do people still die? And here's my answer as your pastor. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) That's my answer. Are you happy with that? I don't know. I don't know why people still. I know we live in a fallen world and I can give you some church answers, but I don't know why I have friends in my life that I can celebrate a miracle and all throughout. And I grew up a church kid and I've seen all kinds of healings and I can celebrate and rejoice and be grateful. But then other times I stand with my hand on the casket of a friend who died way too early, who we worshiped together. We prayed together. We saw miracles together, but he still died. And every year I get a Facebook notification. Every year of the day that he died, I get a reminder that he died. And the enemy wants to say, remember when he died? But then I also get reminders over here of like, remember when we broke through? Remember when God did it? So my answer is, I don't know why both. But I know that we can look into the character of God and figure out how he feels toward us and about us. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9. It says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are, your, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I can tell you this right now, God sees more than us, he knows more than us, and he thinks differently than us. Amen. So for us to say, in my thinking, I think it should have went like this, and da, 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 da. God sees and knows and understands differently than we do. Amen. Uh, I think about when we get to heaven. Uh, we all think you're going to hear the hallelujah chorus. Hallelujah. Right? That's what you think when you're going to get to heaven. It's going to be that. Which is actually not true. When you get there to heaven, you're going to hear a very resounding, Hail to the victor. That's mostly what plays in heaven and a little bit of Dave Matthews. But those things are the primary. I repent for that. Not the victors, maybe the Dave Matthews. But anyway, I love what Pastor Chris Hodges says. He says, here's what heaven's going to sound like. When all the believers get there and all the Christians get up there, they're going to get up in heaven. You know what you're going to hear when you get there? You're going to hear, oh, oh, yeah, oh, why? Because we finally see it. It finally makes sense to us. We finally can see the way God sees it. First John 3, 2 through 3, I'm kind of paraphrasing this scripture here, but it says this, what we will be has not yet been made known, for we shall see him as he is. And it'll make a whole nother sense to us. Now we can read and study and learn the characteristics of God. And that's what we're doing right now. And I encourage you to do that because if we know his nature, we know his will. If we know his nature and his will, we know how to act as Christ imitators. But the scripture tells us we'll see him as he is. We will understand the whole thing. Amen. It just takes faith. It takes faith and it takes trusting. That's why faith is called faith. It's trusting in things that you do not see. Uh, I thought about this. Why do kids get sick and go to heaven? Why do they die and why do they suffer? Phil Wickham, uh, he's an incredible worship leader. Uh, He wrote the song, This is Amazing Grace. This is amazing. Right? Like my song there was. (laughs) His bass player right now, his daughter is four or five years old in a struggle for her life. I open my Instagram and see the tubes and the and just pray and you just and, and knowing I'm talking about healing, just praying and but 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 my heart says God why why, and and again someday we'll know someday we'll see, but I also believe this, that if as a parent or as a person, your desire is your best for your kids, 
You, you want them in the best school. You want them the best education. You want them to drive the safest car. You want them to have the best marriage. You want them to have all, this is your desire for that person. You want them to have the best kind of life. Boil that all down to this one thing. It all means this. You want your children to experience the best kind of love. That's what that means. You want them to experience the highest form of love. Well, the best kind and the highest form of love is in the presence of God. It's heaven. It's eternity with him. Are you with me? So I don't know how to coordinate all that. I don't know, God, this, and, and we're going to keep talking about it. And then I'm going to build your faith with some other healing scriptures. But I'm just telling you this. We trust God. Faith is called faith for a reason. We just believe and we use our faiths and we trust him even when we don't understand. I even think about Hebrews chapter 11. It's the hall of faith, uh, kind of like the hall of fame. It's all these great people listed throughout the scripture and all the great ways God used them. But even at the end, it says this. It says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that not only together with us, they be made perfect. So just this really strange like ending to the thing. And again, it's, it's the hall of faith. We're talking about it. And then God, is, his plans, his ways are different than what we can compute. Amen. It's unsettling in this room for your pastor to even read a scripture like that. Makes you go, oh. Because there's, there's a faith and there's a trusting that needs to come out of us at our core. Amen. I think about 2 Timothy 4.18. It says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, which one is it? Is he going to rescue me from evil attacks? Or is he going to bring me into his kingdom of heaven? And the answer is yes. It's both. It's both. I've seen God rescue me from evil, and then I've also seen God do things where he brings people into heaven. Do you understand what I'm saying? But it comes down to trust and faith and believing that he is a good God. Amen. I thought about this. This is how God uses our lives. What the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good. The imperfections of this world are opportunities to display God's glory. Everybody says, oh my gosh, the doctor's report says that I have this. What is this? This is an opportunity for God to do a miracle and get glory. Oh, come on, you guys. The doctor says this. My job is saying this imperfection in this fallen world has come upon me. And how am I going to react? I'm going to react, praise God, because he's going to use this to bring glory. Okay. And so, 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 so here's the deal. We... We get too caught up in the middle of it, though, right? We, we just, oh, this imperfection has come, and, and God, you promised that I was going to be sunshine and rainbows. When I got saved, you were going to wipe away every tear. No, he said that about heaven. He'd wipe away every tear. Okay? Here's why. God cares about what's happening in us as much as what's happening to us. God cares about what's happening in us as much as he cares about what's happening to us. Paul is praying and he's having conversation, and he's saying, take this thorn from my flesh. I, I don't want this anymore, this ailment, this thing. Take it from me. And the reply back to him from Jesus is, my grace is sufficient, for when you are weak, I am strong. Meaning in your weakness, God can be strong, and people can receive the glory. God can receive the glory. God, why is this happening? Why is this well, when we're weak, God gets to show up and be strong, and God gets the glory. Amen. Yeah. 
I love the response of Paul here. It teaches us a lot about the journey of healing and trusting him in faith. His response is, oh, okay. If that's the case, then I'll boast in this weakness because in this weakness, I know I'll be made strong and God will get all the glory. Notice it didn't say, oh, in this weakness, I'm going to blame others. I'm going to blame God in this weakness. I'm going to not boast. Instead, I'm going to be bitter in this weakness. I'm going to be let myself burn out in the faith in this weakness, or I'm going to box myself in and isolate in this weakness. He says, no, I'm going to continue to go and I'm going to boast and I'm going to live out of this weakness and God's going to make it strong and get all the glory. I don't know why we got to go through. I don't know. I don't know, but I'll continue to boast. My dad's sitting in a hospital and I get to get up here and boast that in a weakness, God's going to be strong and the glory's going to come. Are you with me? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 talks about it. And without faith, that faith, that boasting, that believing, that moving, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. What does he reward? Diligence. Consistently seeking. Even though I'm weak, I'm diligent and I'm seeking. Even though there's symptoms, I'm diligent and I'm seeking. This is what I want to spend the time on as you're believing for healing and you're believing for God to do a work. It's, it's a believing, it's a diligence, it's a continuing to move toward God because it's going to be impossible if you don't have faith. And faith requires action, amen. Uh, there's the story in 1 Kings chapter 17 of Elijah. The scripture says that God gave Elijah a word. God gave me a word. He shows up. He said, God gave me a word, and, and here's what it is. And so he begins to tell him that we're going to overtake Ahab, and we're going to do it because I'm gonna, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. There'll be no rain. So he gets his word from God. I want to tell you, it's so important for you on your faith journey, on your miracle journey, on your healing journey. You have to get a word from God. You can't just go down to the prayer room and go, oh, I just, I'm going to take down a prayer and have a prayer and hope the best. No, you got to get a word. you got to get something to attach your faith to. Are you with me? you got to get something you can stand on and believe in. And that's what, Ahab, or that's what Elijah's doing here. He's saying, I got a word. His faith began with a word, not with a doctor diagnosis, not with what the neighbor says, not with what medical MD says, not what any family history says. He got a word about what God says. Are you with me? And he stood with it. And so he's saying, no rain for three and a half years. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You need to get into your word and get a word and get a promise and get an encouragement and get something that's going to build you up. Because I promise you can wake up and worship at 9 a.m. and by 9.30 you can feel in the ditch again. Beat down, discouraged, your symptoms flaring up. You get a call from somebody else that it's gotten worse and this isn't going to work. And you got to go back to the word. You got to go back to a worship. That's why we sing these songs. That's why we get animated because we want to get people to come in and stand up and say, I believe breakthrough is coming because we need those words. Faith comes by hearing, by hearing by the word of God. I love this. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and active. It's not an old, crusty, traditional, old time. No, these words, the word of God is active in your situation now. It says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Here's the key part. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
God, I'm feeling mopey because this is happening to me. How is this happening? I'm bitter. I'm sick of it. I don't. And then you go back and you get a word and it's alive and it corrects your heart and it changes your mind. Are you with me this morning? You have to have a word. So he had a word that he was standing on because there's power in the word. Three and a half years, it's not raining. And he tells his servant, he says, all right, after three and a half years, it's time for the rain. It's time for the rain. And that was part of the promise. Part of the word is that it's going to rain and Ahab's going to go on the run. And so he tells the servant, go out and look. Go out and look at the symptoms. Go out and look at what you see. And he goes out and he comes back and he's like, sorry, Elijah, no rain, not even a cloud. It's not going to happen. Maybe a doctor has told you, no progress, no advancement, nothing's going to happen. It's not going to work for you. And so he says, hey, this is it. Go back. He uses the words, go back. He tells the servants, no, this is it. I got a word. It's going to rain. Go back. And the servant comes back. Nope, nope. And he continues to say, go back, go back. God's okay with us going back to him. There's nothing wrong with us as faith people and believers continuing to go back in faith and prayer and continue. Are you with me? Too many of us want the microwave healing. Go to the prayer room, push, ding, am I healed? Oh, no. It's God's interested in what's happening in us as well as what's happening to us. So it's okay to be a go back people. And even if you go back to the doctor and it gets worse, you continue to go back and check. For the cloud. You understand what I'm saying? So seventh time, he goes back and says, I see a cloud. And Elijah's like, that's enough. That's, that's plenty for me. I'll take a cloud. The size of a man's hand. I know the rain is coming. Why? Because the fulfillment of the word was on the horizon. That's why church is important. That's why you got to come in a place like this and sing songs and hear a word of people saying like, hey, guess what? There's a cloud coming. And you go, oh, that cloud is coming. And it's going to happen for me. Are you with me? Faith continues regardless. It's okay to go back. It's not okay to retreat. That's a huge difference. To be a person who goes back in faith and goes back in believing and goes. We don't beg God, but we go back and we believe and we believe and we agree. We stay in agreement with the Lord. But to be a people who retreat is the wrong. Go back is okay. Retreat is not. Oh, it didn't work. Now I'm bitter. Now I'm mad. Now I'm stepping out of everything God called me to. Now I don't believe the promise and you retreat. And you abort what God is trying to do. We got to be go back people, not retreat people. That's why Corinthians says, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, 5, 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk. We continue to walk. We continue to go back in faith and believe no matter what we see. Hebrews 10, 35. So do not throw away your confidence for it is richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Stay at it, stay at it, stay at it, people, is what we got to be. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't retreat. Be people who stay after it, and God's promises will come. Amen? We are the end in mind healing people. The only way that we think God is going to work is if we pray and he answers. Pray, and then I need my answer. And we don't think anything about in between. It's like my fault uh, when we travel. I do this. I'm guilty of this. All right, you put it in the GPS. We're going on vacation. We get there. We're going to make memories, and it's going to be amazing, but it's, none of that's going to happen until we get there, right? So I put it in for three hours. We're not stopping. If we hit people, run over things, I don't care. We're getting there in three hours because that's where the memories are going to be made. That's where we're going to have our breakthrough. That's where we're going to have our time. That's where we're going to have our... 
But how many know a lot of memories could have been made along the way? There's a whole bunch of encounters that could take place on that, but I'm so focused on the end thing, I miss the three hours along the way. It's the same thing in our walk with God. The miracle, yes, we believe it for it, and that's the promise, but the thing that you pick up along the way, you can't discount. And so you don't lose your confidence. You trust God. Amen. I uh, love that even God says this in Zechariah. He says this in Zechariah 4.10, Do not despise small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Not pray and end. He, he, he loves to see beginnings and processes and see us trust him with our whole lives. Amen. God heals. It's who he is. I want you to know that leaving here today, that God is a healer. His name, one of his names is literally Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. People say, oh, it's for the old times. Oh, that's just for the disciples' time, and it all stopped when they all died. Then why is it a name of God? And if the scripture says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, if he healed then, he heals now. I'm in today, and I believe tomorrow God will heal. The same yesterday, today, and forever. I thought about this, uh, Isaiah 53, 5. It says, but he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Why would the cross be about healing if healing wasn't for today? Why would the cross be about healing if God didn't want you to be healed? The cross, and we'll talk more about it next week, was the transaction of ability for us to walk in wholeness. James 5.13 says this, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. We love that. Oh, yeah, if anyone's in trouble, pray. We'll pray. Let him, if anyone among you is unhappy, let them sing songs of praise. Some of you unhappy people need to start singing a little bit more in church. (laughs) The Bible says, not me, the Bible. If anyone among you is sick, here we go. Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the Lord, uh, and the Lord, prayer offered in faith, will make the sick person well-wished, right? It's going to be like, well, it's not for today, well-wish. No, it says it'll make the sick person well. And then it says this, and it says it'll make the sick person well, the Lord will raise them up. It says, if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. God's desire is to heal. What I love about this verse is he wants to heal more than just your symptoms. He wants to restore all of you. So it says, hey, confess your sins. Why? Because he cares about what's going on on the inside of you too. The whole plan, we'll talk about it more next week, the whole plan of the cross and redemption and everything is about us walking in total restoration, body, mind, soul, healed. So, hey, pray for one another that you be healed, but also confess your sins because you can't walk around broken on the inside as well. Are you with me? God still heals. He still does it. I'll close with this. It's a story of a six-year-old boy. He was sick for five days. His family Uh, brought him. They didn't have very much money. They didn't have ability to do much medical care. And they brought him to the hospital. And immediately after the doctors looked at him, they rushed him to a room and covered his room in plastic. People couldn't come and go. The only time doctors could go in and see this little boy is if they were in full garb, completely covered, head to toe. To go visit him, they had to be completely covered because of this illness that was going to take his life. 
They thought that this illness would take his life. They suspected what it would be, but they needed to do a spinal tap to make, per, make sure. So they go in there, torturous to a little six-year-old boy. They do a spinal tap to him. They take it out. Sure enough, the disease that they were worried about was in his body. He was going to die. They go to the mom and they say, hey, mom, we're sorry. Uh, this isn't going to work out. Your six-year-old boy is going to die. Um, he's also very sick. You can't be with him. Uh, we're sorry that it's going to end like this. So the mom sneaks through the plastic. She gets into a place and she lays with him. She prays, God, heal my boy. Just heal my boy. I know that you heal. And I saw that the prophet laid with a boy in the Bible and he was brought back to life. Just heal my boy. And the doctor said, came in and noticed what was going on. And they said, hey, uh, you can't be in there. You know, you made this huge mistake. We need to prepare him for the next things. And another doctor said, hey, uh, before we basically give him the seal of death, would you parents be willing to do one more spinal tap? Can we just look again? Can we just see? And so of course they prayed and she prayed with him and was laying with him and forgot it. So that again, torturous to another six-year-old boy. And they do another spinal tap and they pull it and they look and they see, you know what? There's no sign of any illness in this boy. He's been completely healed, but the bad news is the bad news is because of the fever that he did and, and the stuff that had already affected his body and the comatose state that he had gone through, unfortunately, he's never going to live a normal life. He's never going to be able to leave the house. He's never going to be able to do anything significant in his life. Can I tell you, I watched that six-year-old boy, now a 40-year-old man, preach a sermon to a church in Grand Rapids on Wednesday night. He's my friend, Robbie Emery. The hand of God is on his life. He's an advisor to the University of Michigan. Doesn't get any better than that. Amen. So years later, after that, he gets married. A girl named Danielle, they, they, they're married, they're together, and of course, they're trying to have kids. They can't have kids, and it's a struggle, and they go to the doctor, and they finally sit down, and they say, hey, uh, we got to look at this. It's just not working for us. And um, the doctors say, hey, we look at everything and say, hey, I hate to tell you guys both this, Robbie and Danielle, it's just not, it's not, it's not good. Uh, you, Danielle, are not in a good position to have a child, and Robbie, for you. So they said, it's never going to happen. It's totally impossible. It's just never going to happen. It's impossible. And so, of course, they cried and just, and, and, and just a total emotional wreck, and they just moved on in life believing that, God, you, you are the healer. You are the miracle-working God. So they got pregnant by a miracle, just pregnant first time, and they're, and they're believing. They're so excited, and Time's going on and he's traveling and he gets a call from his wife and he says, Robbie, she says, Robbie, I'm losing the baby and uh, it's not going to be good. And I don't think if we should keep doing this, there's just too many complications. And so Robbie rushes home and, and he gets her and they go to the hospital and um, they get on the ultrasound. And of course, they're crying and emotional. And uh, the doctors look and they say, hey, there's there's been a change. Um, you're having two babies. Here they are. Put them up. This is their, uh, throw that up there. This is Ava and Bree. They, uh, they have a miracle. Guess what? God still heals. He still does it. And guess what? The scripture says he's no respecter of persons. If he did it for them, he'll do it for you. Uh, here's what I believe. That God is the God who likes to make the impossible possible. Give me five more minutes and we'll be out of here. I know I'm going over. But there's a story of a man with a withered hand. You've heard the story. And it's how God uses the impossible to make things possible. And here's a challenge that I want to give to all of us in the way that we follow God into faith. 
Story says that the religious Pharisees are watching Jesus because he's not allowed, according to custom, to do a miracle on the Sabbath. And it's the Sabbath. They're in church and Jesus is there. And the scripture literally says the religious people were, were ready to get him. It was a trap. So in this room, the scripture says is a man with a withered hand. So it's a, it's a, it's a role. Some say he was either a blacksmith or maybe a mason, but he had crushed bones, broken deformity uh, in his hand. Couldn't stretch it. Could, it's and so he was known by people as the man with the withered hand. Just like in scripture, they say there's the paralyzed, there's the leper, there's the man at the, they were labeled just like the world tries to label us in our brokenness. Oh, there's the attic. Oh, there's the, are you with me? And God shows up on the scene, ready to make the impossible possible, no matter what the religious, are you with me? Have to say about it. And he says to the man, he says, hey, you stand up in the middle of everyone. That's a faith stand up. If you want a miracle, God's going to ask you to stand up in faith at times. Amen. So stand up. And then he says to him, hey, stretch your hands, stretch your hands to me, stretch your hands and I'll make you whole, stretch your hand. Now, you know what we would have done in the American church because we do it every Sunday? We would have given him our best hand. We come into church. Oh, praise God with my best hand. Look how good I am. Look how I got it all together. Instead of coming into the house of God and giving him our broken pieces. God wants to heal and touch your broken pieces. We come in and we say, oh, look at this. And we pretend to be perfect. Come in and we pretend, look, I got it all together. And then we go back out on the street and we praise the problem. Well, you know, I'm dealing with this. And you know, I got to go through that. And you know, and we start just giving all this credit to the problem. This is the place that you come in and you give God praise about the problem. We come in and we give God our best hand. Oh, look at me, look at me. Are you with me? Are you with me? Thank you, Amy. We don't give them our, look at this, fake. Hey, stay with me, guys. We don't give them our fake and our, oh, look at this and look at this. We give God our brokenness. We give him our best because the whole message of Jesus is about making things whole. So the scripture says he stretched out his hand and God made him whole as the other. What is the other? The other was a functioning. What does God want? What is the point? God wants you as believers to be made whole, to be made new. He doesn't want us walking around in brokenness. Are you with me? I brought a list of things that God heals. And I bet if you have an issue, I'll bet yours probably qualifies somewhere in this list because it's a pretty good list. He heals leprosy, he heals blindness, he heals deaf ears, he heals death. Uh, all throughout scripture, he even healed death after days of death. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, and then if that wasn't good enough for you, there was so much death happening in one case that they became dry bones and he healed those too. What am I trying to say? I think anxiety is probably covered in this list of healing. I think depression is probably something that can be handled. I think cancer and the symptoms of it can probably be, are you with me? People always say this to me, well, what if you pray for somebody and they don't get healed? But what if we pray and they do? I'd rather risk on the other than hold back because of the front end. What if I take the step and I pray and they don't get hit, but what if you do? 